right, we're running a little bit a little bit long here, so we have about 10 minutes for segment number three. We did an obituary in our first segment, that of poor Lonesome George, but we've got a few more I think we should cite, starting with, apparently, the city of Stockton. Stockton has now become America's largest community to seek protection under U.S. bankruptcy rules. Our neighbor of the North has been brought low by the housing bust, spiraling pension obligations, and years of what are described as bad decisions. They apparently did three months of mandatory mediation with Stockton uh, and failed to generate a deal with its creditors. Last week, Stockton stopped making payments on its bonds. Mark Levinson, a lawyer representing the city since 2009, said bankruptcy is a terrible option until it's the only option. Since 2009, Stockton's trimmed $90 million in spending and eliminated 25% of its police officers, 30% of its fire department, and 40% of other city employees. This is rather shocking and terrible news, and we're going to have to cover that a little more fully in the weeks to come. I don't know who we're going to talk to in Stockton about this, but uh, we'll see what we can do. Wow. All right, we have so many obituaries to do, we're just going to have to do a lightning round, I think. A couple weeks back, Anna Schwartz passed away. When legendary economist Milton Friedman won the Nobel Prize in 1976, many in the field said it should have also gone to his frequent co-author, Anna Schwartz. Said Friedman himself, edited all the work, and I got most of the recognition. That was for the 1963 classic, A Monetary History of the United States. That groundbreaking book created a new consensus that the Federal Reserve's policy failures, rather than the 1929 stock market crash, triggered the Great Depression. Said Bloomberg.com, Schwartz was one of the foremost experts on U.S. monetary history. In recent years, she emerged as an outspoken critic of the Fed's bailouts of indebted financial institutions back in 2008. She opposed Ben Bernanke's reappointment as Fed chief in 2009 and said, It's like the only lesson the Federal Reserve took from the Great Depression was to flood the market with liquidity, she said, adding, Well, it isn't working. As our depression enters its fifth year, I think Anna Schwartz is probably right about that. Also note the passing of an artist who was disdained by the art community but earned a pretty good living at it. That would be Leroy Neiman. People may debate how good he was. I always thought his artwork in Playboy magazine was sort of curious. But sometimes it's better to be, you know, lucky than good. While he was working as a freelance illustrator for a Chicago department store back in 1953, he befriended a guy starting a new magazine named Hugh Hefner. Neiman then originated a series for Playboy known as Man at His Leisure, which granted him access to the high life and allowed him to paint subjects as varied as nude beaches in Dalmatia, the running of the bulls in Pamplona, and the Monaco Grand Prix. Sniffed the New Yorker, Neiman didn't actually make art exactly. He delivered art product. Neiman himself took the art world's scorn philosophically, saying, maybe the critics are right, but what am I supposed to do about it? Stop painting? Change my work completely? I enjoy what I'm doing, and I feel good working. I also note the passing of Henry Hill, uh, who, who may or may not have been uh, the gangster he claimed to be. I've never been quite sure about that. He apparently did have some genuine credentials as a, as a wise guy. The book of that name, written by Nick Pileggi, was later made into the classic film Goodfellas. It was noted in the obituaries that Hill's testimony did send over 50 mafiosi to jail. 
And he apparently was part of a gang that in 1978 stole $5.8 million from a Lufthansa terminal in JFK. At the time, the largest cash robbery in U.S. history, for which I think he pretty much got away with. What I like best about Henry Hill, while in the witness protection program, he was arrested at least six times for burglary and drug possession. And he left the program back in 1987. At the time of his death, was living openly in California, making money by selling Goodfellas mugs and aprons from his website. And finally, a guy we really don't have time to do justice to, Andy Griffith. We'll just quote from the New York Times, which noted that not just any actor could have created the Andy Taylor character and sold him to the public during the unsettled 60s. But Andy Griffith made it look easy. He brought good looks and physical stature to the role, as well as a southern accent that was strong enough to convey country, but not so thick as to be off-putting to a national audience. We'll have more to say about Andy Griffith, hopefully on next week's program. We're down to about five minutes. I just have a couple quickie items to toss in. And, um... Speaking of Galapagos tortoises, as we were earlier, and, and one seldom gets to use a segue like that, turns out that in Austria, after a century of marital bliss, the world's longest romance appears now to be over. Bibi and Poldi, a pair of Galapagos giant tortoises, are no longer on speaking terms. The pair fell out after a fight in which Bibi took a chunk out of Poldi's shell. Now, whenever they are reintroduced, B.B. hisses at Poldy, who responds with violent lunges. They are both 115 and have been together since they were young. That's according to zoo owner Helga Happ. But they just can't stand each other anymore. Boy, isn't that how romance is? We begin to wonder whether there's something in the water over in Austria because, uh, well, there's this item. An Austrian woman has been granted a divorce because her husband cheated on her with a waitress during the wedding reception. Yes, according to this story, the bride's dad walked in on the groom having a quickie with the waitress in the kitchen and without saying why, went back out and shut down the music and sent the guests home. Reportedly, after waiting the required six months, the bride filed for divorce, which was granted. The groom, meanwhile, has married the waitress. All right, a piece from the Sacramento Bee that's pretty much irresistible, talking about America's disgrace of a legal system. Headline by Maura Dolan, reprinted from the LA Times. Disgraced journalist lobbies state to let him become lawyer. Yes, Stephen Glass, who wrote stories full of fakery as a New Republic staff writer and was later the subject of a, of a movie titled Shattered Glass, wants to become a lawyer. In New York, they turned him down, so he's come out to California and he's trying again. The state bar of California wants him kept out of the legal profession. The bar told the California Supreme Court that Glass, a pervasive and documented liar, had tainted the entire journalism community. Of course, our question is, what should that keep him from becoming a lawyer? In fact, that very point was asked by New York University's Stephen Gillers, who, reporting on the case, said, what grates me is the idea that he's not honorable enough for journalism, so let the lawyers have him. Of course, his psychiatrist has attested to his newfound honesty and ethics, so we'll just have to see. And in our final minute, I can't resist quoting from The Onion. Picked up a free copy out on the streets of Manhattan and <laughs> had to laugh at the section titled American Voices. Romney promises the opposite of Obama on Israel, inviting commentary. Ask The Onion, this past week Mitt Romney vowed that he would look at what President Obama has done regarding Israel 
and, quote, do the opposite, unquote. What do you think? Said the alleged character of Lucas Feel, described as tape cutter, I can only assume that Romney means he's going to cut off aid to Israel, support the Palestinians, and make out with Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Well, he's got a point. That might be the opposite of what Obama's doing. Quoting a Beth Altman, systems analyst, If applied uniformly across the board, this style of rhetoric could really take the guesswork out of Romney's positions on everything. And finally noted a Ray Craighead, Okay, so he's got his foreign policy down, but what about the economy? Has he mentioned whether he'll make it better, or did he say he would make it worse? The answer is important. All right, we're out of time, so we're going to have to postpone our discussion of the debate of where Mark Twain camped on Lake Tahoe, apparently the source of quite a little controversy up in the Tahoe area. And we wanted to comment on the uh, street talk piece from the News and Review asking, is it okay to pee in the shower? But doggone it, that's just going to have to wait a week. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We're going to see you next week with just more fun. And included among that fun will be our good pal, Mr. Sean Minton. We'll see you then. We've sailed the seas and we've been the world over. We command a lake. We've seen the Sphinx and seen the cliffs of Dover. But we can safely say the most fabulous sight is New York in the light of the day. Our only day. New York, New York, a wonderful town. The Bronx is up and the battery's down. The people ride in a hole in the ground. New York, New York, in the wonderful town. Manhattan women are all in silk and satin, and so the fellas say. There's just one thing necessary in Manhattan When you've got just one day Gotta pick up a date Maybe seven or eight on your way In just one day New York, New York, a wonderful town The rock is up and the battery's down The people ride in all in the ground New York, New York